You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM. This is your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hey, Kiefer. Uh, and uh, like always on the show start, we mention our sponsors, and I seem to get faster and faster every time that we do this, but highly athletic wear, uh, excellent clothing, excellent athletic uh, wear for training, for competition, uh, and actually, I, I started wearing their V-neck shirts as my dress shirts, which, even though they're still t-shirts, um, great clothing line and great people over there, so... We will jump right into the show because today we've got Jimmy Moore on the show, who I've been a guest a couple times. Rocky's been a guest a few times, but we've never had Jimmy on our show. So glad to have you today, Jimmy. Hey, guys. What's going on? How much? How's it going? Oh, rock and roll, man. All pun intended. Rocky and roll. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that might be the most we hear Rocky speak the entire podcast. (laughs) We'll see. We what still happens. love you, Rocky. We quality, still love you, not quantity. Quality. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, one day we did we did a podcast a few weeks ago that was specifically me getting Rocky to talk because I was like, okay, you've got to make up for the last twenty shows where you haven't said anything and you have to talk the entire show. I thought I did a pretty good job. You did. It was a good podcast. You need to talk more. <laughs> it's just his presence. It just kind of emanates. So there you go. There you go. It's my aura. <laughs> It's my aura yes. on the show. So I'm guessing that, you know, if if you were guest spots or anything like mine all the time, everybody always starts with, oh, well, how did you get into this and that kind of thing? And I would just like to skip over that. You know, if yeah. people, people want to know your, your background story, they can go hunt it down if that's okay with you or if there's anything of well, particular. I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm on a whole bunch of other podcasts too, so... Uh, yeah, I probably told that story so many times. People are like, "Yawn next." <laughs> so, that's fine. All right. All right. So let's just jump into it. You know, one one reason you know the timing of this show is you've got a new book coming out, Keto Clarity. Um, mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what's you know you you've got um, cholesterol clarity, correct? Was your first yep. book? Rocky Rocky was one of my experts in that book. Yep. Yeah. So and. I think I made it into uh, Keto Clarity as one of your experts. You, you did. You were Excellent. one of my experts in Keto. Yep. Yeah, I knew I gave a quote. I just wanted to make sure that you didn't throw it away. <laughs> you gave more than one quote, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, I'm, I'm very verbose, so yes, we've got to expect that. And I appreciated that. that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, why don't you um, – so what, what can we expect in Keto Clarity basically is – is what what we'll start with here, and then I can just start yeah. gunning at you. Sure, sure. So um, I wanted to write this book because people know me as kind of the low-carb guy, and I've been out there a while talking about low-carb diets and how they can be beneficial. Um, and it was a few years back that I started testing for nutritional ketosis after reading Bullock and Finney's work and saying, hmm, I, you know, it's, it's a lot more sophisticated than just eating low-carb to get into ketosis. And so I started looking for books that would show you how do you get into ketosis? What does it take to get there? What are the benefits that you could expect uh, to get when you got there? 
the book didn't exist. I mean, Volk and Finney's work kind of danced around it a bit, and they definitely introduced me to the terminology, but nobody had given you a practical how-to um, other than for uh, the weight loss books like Atkins books. And then there's a few books out there on epilepsy and ketogenic diets, but nobody's really come at it from a whole health perspective before. That's what we're trying to do in Keto Clarity, giving people practical ways to get into ketosis, why you would want to get into ketosis, recipes, food plans, all, all the whole shebang that people are probably always e emailing you about, Rocky, and uh, emailing you about, Kiefer, uh, is how do you do this? How do you get into ketosis? Hopefully, this is uh, probably one of the first practical guides for doing that. Uh, that should be interesting because, you know, most people assume, and I get this problem all the time, that just because they're low carb that they're going to be ketogenic, which That's right. is far from the truth. Yeah, in the book, we have, have kind of a three-legged uh, stool, so to speak, of what it takes to get into ketosis. And cutting carbohydrates is merely only one leg in that stool. The other two legs, I believe, are just as important. You also have to moderate down protein somewhat. And, and this is a big and I know you talk about this quite a bit, that when you overdo it on the, on the protein, it can have a pretty negative effect on your blood sugar, which will then kill your ketones as well. So you've got to find a protein threshold level that's right for you, as well as your carbohydrate tolerance level. And guess what, people? If you're sensitive to carbohydrate, you're probably going to be pretty darn sensitive to protein as well. So for example, my carbohydrate intake is right around 30 grams for me to be into ketosis. But in conjunction with that, I also have to limit my protein to right around 80 to 100 grams a day. So then what happens with the rest of the calories is it's all fat to satiety. So you try to eat, um, you know, enough fat in your diet so that you're satisfied. You're able to spontaneously intermittent fast without even thinking about it. It freaked me out the first time I ever started doing this was I just started eating this way and got the ketone levels. And suddenly I noticed I hadn't eaten for 24 hours and I'm going, what's going on? Why, why aren't I eating breakfast, lunch, snack, lunch, dinner, snack, midnight snack? That's kind of the, the whole mentality that we have in our culture that you have to eat by the clock. But my body was telling me when to eat. So it, it's, it's really a fascinating thing. And yeah, low carb is not the be all end all when it comes to trying to get into ketosis. Yeah, that's interesting that you found uh, 80 grams of protein. I've seen that actually cited quite a few times in studies, but I've also seen, and I don't know if, if you've experienced this with anybody who's asked for your help, but I've seen in some of the research uh, that it takes protein levels in addition to lowering carbs uh, to mm -hmm. 30 grams or 20 grams or less, protein levels of like 40 grams a day uh, are sometimes necessary in some of the research studies to get participants to hit ketosis. So and, and I don't, I don't doubt that. I haven't had to do that, Kiefer. I fortunately am able to, with the conjunction of that 30 grams of carbs and that 80 grams of protein, I can pretty much like clockwork, get into ketosis pretty darn quick. I mean, I've been low carb for years. So if you're already pretty low carb and, and I would define that as anything under hundred grams, then you're probably going to get into ketosis fairly quickly once you find that threshold of protein that works for you. But yeah, you're right. There are some people that are just so resistant to it that, yeah, lowering it down even more. And I, I think I've even heard you say 
that just every once in a while on a day, you'll go 10 grams in a day just to kind of really get that ketosis boost. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it really, uh, that, that was one thing I talked about for people who are very, very resistant. And uh, when I was looking into it, you know, where those areas of resistance could be, you know, the liver is obviously the target component there because it's the only place ketones are made. And yeah. sometimes there's defects in that. And, you know, one surefire way to overcome those defects and any dietary problems that you might have is to fast for 48 hours. Under those conditions, yeah. every study that's out there that's looked at that has shown that you will go into ketosis after 48 hours of fasting. I mean, no matter what. So, you know, if you just are convinced that you can't go into ketosis, there's your experimental protocol if you want to try it out. <laughs> um, yeah, and what we're doing with uh, with nutritional ketosis is we're trying to mimic the effects of that all-out fast by putting your body in the same metabolic state as it would be if you were fasting. Uh, my co-author, Dr. Eric Westman, um, he has often referred to it as fed starvation. So you have the same metabolic effects of starvation, but you're actually feeding the person. And that's why the high fat comes into play um, and helps build those ketones to make your body think you're you're starving. Some people kind of criticize that a little bit, and, and maybe you can help me clarify why it's not a bad thing to be in ketosis in a fed state, uh, that it's not starvation. It's not the same thing that's happening. So, Jimmy, uh, you had mentioned uh, protein being kind of a linchpin for a lot of people who can't get into this kind of ketogenic or ketotic state. Um, did, you do right. any, did you do any self-experimenting on yourself in terms of um, lowering caloric load and then increasing protein to see what you could tolerate to keep yourself in ketosis? You know, I did not do that, Rocky. I, um, I, I focused solely on the carbohydrate, keeping it limited and the protein, keeping it moderated and eating fast to satiety. Calories really didn't come into play. That's certainly an interesting experiment that, uh, you've now put on my radar screen <laughs> to, uh, to see. So what, what's your theory would happen? Well, I'm just saying that, you know, we know that caloric reduction or energy need can probably also put you in a ketotic state. And, you know, the question would be then how would you manipulate the, you know, the macronutrient profile? So I'm just thinking that, you know, maybe if you, if the caloric load goes down, the amount of protein threshold probably would go up. Um, See, I would, I would argue that I would but, think that you'd be more sensitive because you'd have glucagon levels going up and cortisol levels going up, which would exacerbate gluconeogenesis. So... I, I and the hunger and cravings. Well, the yeah, hunger well, and cravings <clears throat> would come back with a vengeance. Yeah, I would. I would probably say that would be the case as well. I'm just saying that if if the caloric load was small enough, yeah, you'd have to yeah. go down to. I would, you know, I would think where you would see it, the macronutrient ratio not matter at all, whether it's carbohydrate, protein, or fat, would be like a 400 calorie diet. Which is some of the fat camps wow. that are yeah. out there do that. They, you know, put these people on <laughs> 400 calorie diets for weeks at a time and what they're essentially doing is creating this unhealthy ketogenic nutritional ketogenesis um that we see right earlier this year i did a fat fast the traditional atkins fat fast of a thousand to 1200 calories of these small meals i gotta tell you i was going out of my mind it was i was so hungry and i think once you become keto adapted and you're using ketones well um doing the limited calories can be actually counterproductive to what you're trying to do to be into ketosis. So 
maybe it helps some people get there. But for me, I and of course, this is just anecdotally, but just for me, I, I did horribly, horribly. Now I lost weight. Yeah, sure. How do you not? But was it worth it to go through all I did? Uh, mental fog all came back on. Cravings came back on. Hunger was intense. Uh, it just wasn't worth it to me. Which is actually interesting, uh, an interesting point, and we can circle back around to nutritional ketosis and why that's uh, safe compared to starvational ketosis. But what's interesting is when, you know, people feel worse in general, and there's, you know, some psychological um, surveys that were done on this, people feel worse in general eating a diet very low in calories. So this is 600 calories or less than they right. do when they just don't eat for 24 hours. It's a very mm. interesting phenomenon. And that could be because of the makeup of the macronutrient profile of that 600 calories. But in general, people have better mental acuity not eating at all than trying to subsist on 600 calories a day. And that's ketosis, I believe. Yeah, I, w I would imagine there. That. Yes, correct. That there's the key right there. And you know, that dovetails nicely into why this nutritional ketosis uh, has so many advantages, particularly over starvational ketosis, which can have some negative effects because of hormones. You know, ketones are a preferred fuel for a few tissues in the body, as we know, the brain, uh, the heart, and the diaphragm. There's unfortunately this myth that muscles like to burn ketones and they're very efficient at doing it. It turns out that's just not true after a few weeks of being on a ketogenic diet, muscle and other tissue downregulate the enzyme necessary to metabolize ketones. And this is preserved across all mammals. And But heart, diaphragm, both upregulate those enzymes. And so they can use it more efficiently. And then in the brain, we get uh, monocarboxylate transporters also upregulate, which allow ketones to pass in as a, a very potent energy source for the brain. But on top of that, the ketones actually speed up that process of the uh, MCT transporters or monocarboxylate. I'll just say it out so people don't get confused. Um, it upregulates those transporters, which also ten, uh, turn out to transport short chain and medium chain fatty acids into the brain, which can be metabolized by the astrocytes, which are an important part of brain function, brain coordination, and they do utilize a lot of energy as well. So there are huge, huge advantages to being able to introduce ketones into the physio physiology of what's going on internally while still feeding the body uh, with enough dietary nutrients to sustain growth if you're in a growth state or to sustain repair and recovery. So there's huge advantages to introducing ketones. And I think that's why we see so much research right now on the ketone salts and ketone esters and trying to introduce ketones even without having people cut carbs. Did Can I help? comment on those? Sure. Can I comment on those? Yeah. I, I think for athletes, that's probably a good idea to have these ketone esters and the ketone beta-hydroxybutyrate salts and MCT oil and use those as fuel um, because they do give you that boost of the the ketones in it for a temporary amount of time, some somewhere around three hours. But 
I think for the average Joe or someone who's trying to do this therapeutically and to get into nutritional ketosis, doing it nutritionally is probably going to give you better benefits, longer lasting benefits than if you did it artificially with these other means. What say uh, you? I completely agree with you, actually. Yeah, I would agree as cool. well. I mean, we do have some data suggesting that, let's say for like dementia, you can get um, mild cognitive improvement by just using MCTs. But I think that, although I don't think I've seen any studies where they actually look at these patients and put them in a ketogenic state and, and then look at their cognitive function, I would assume it'd be better. Yeah, you've got, you know, people just don't think of all the processes all the way across the board, even uh, nutrients entering the cell and uh, mitochondria, you know, the way they metabolize nutrients. And then if you have carbohydrates and they're being used, then when carbohydrates metabolize, they've got to be turned into lactate before they can enter the citric acid cycle, which creates a lot of oxidative products. Uh, unfortunately, glucose also shuts off the cleanup processes within a cell. So you get carbonylation of the enzymes that sit on the mitochondrial membrane that start to degrade mitochondria. So, you know, it, it's not just the ketones that are so beneficial. It is taking glucose out of the system. So it's this, you know, it's right. a twofold process. And I, you know, I think people get lost and get so excited about the ketones. They really forget, you know, I, I would say 90% of the benefit is still getting, limiting the amount of glucose that's available for fuel. Right. And that's where I think some of these products can allow your blood glucose levels to stay elevated despite having elevated levels of uh, blood ketones. And so you do it nutritionally. One of the hallmarks is the higher the blood ketones, the lower the blood sugar when it's done nutritionally. Right. And have you, you know, as you discuss this with people, have you noticed that, that uh, there's still, even amongst researchers uh, and some very, very intelligent people, Dr. D'Agostino, who I really enjoy, still seems to carry this uh, prejudice that we've all grown up with that, you know, glucose needs to be the predominant fuel for metabolism and that uh, a diet high in carbohydrates isn't intrinsically bad. You know, we, we need to look for things to try to fix that. Because carbs are so important. Do you, do you run into that a lot where people just, even ones who are, you know, on that cusp of ketone research, they're still yeah. holding on to those old prejudices? No. Well, the people that I interview on my podcast, no. <laughs> well, of course, have. right. You want to stack the but, deck in uh, your favor, right? <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, but out there in the mainstream, uh, absolutely. I mean, you hear them talk about oh, well, we need a minimum of 150 grams of carbohydrate for proper brain function. I just want to scream at these people and say, <laughs> your brain would prefer to have the ketones, dude. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think out there in the mainstream, for sure, um, as far as the ketogenic researchers and uh, Dr. Diagosino specifically, I, I did not know that was his position. Um, but I think that's probably trying to toe the party line to keep getting funding. Um I, I think the evidence is becoming clear um, that that that's just not that's the old paradigm. There's a new paradigm coming, right? Yeah, I I want to be clear with with Dom. He's not, you know, he's not. Oh, we need to keep carbs in the diet. He definitely, though, you know, there seems to be when we talk, uh, not as much. He's not always uh, 
so 100% on board with we need to get rid of carbohydrates. If we can increase ketones, then we can see a lot of effects. Um, and so he I, likes it through the man manipulation with the MCT oil and these ketone esters and things like that with the carbohydrates. Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah, he thinks there's still a very big benefit there, and and I would disagree with him on that. I, I think part of and that again, goes— I, that's right. That, yeah, I think part of that has to do with the what, what he's doing with the with the the seals and things like that because he's looking for a way to um, specifically in that population not have to put them into a nutritional ketotic diet because it wouldn't be probably feasible. Right, but he he does talk about extending that to you know more general populations as well. Right. And again, I think that's him trying to keep his research funding going. To yeah. Because you get hardcore, you, you become Kiefer, they're just going to go, dude, you're too wackadoodle, we're out of here, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a shame, too. You know, there's... Yeah. Um, I think that's that's actually why, you know, I'm sure you're aware of it, there's so much vitrolic on social media over these low carb diets and somebody writes a crappy blog post and they're like, Oh, they disproved the insulin hypothesis and the blood sugar right. hypothesis. And there's this just trolling that's growing in momentum. And I think that's because certain people who really have built their career on trolling fad diets as they're dying have latched onto this, you know, trying to troll the, the low carb diet. And now they're in a situation where there's so much research out there there's so much anecdotal evidence. There's so much experiential yeah. data that they realize they're on the losing side for the first time. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think you're right. It's it's built up a whole lot. In fact, I just saw some vegan doctor down in the Houston area on television, <laughs> and he said, "Oh, you you know what causes diabetes? Everybody thinks it's carbohydrates and increases in the blood sugar from that. No, no, no. It's animal based products. So it's the fats and proteins you eat. And I'm going. Does he even understand the mechanism behind what's right. going on here? And yeah, we're seeing a lot more of that and a lot more craziness out there." Because we are on the cusp of people finally realizing the whole gig is up about the low-fat lie, as I like to call it. Um, we've been lied to about fat, and I think we're having a revolution about dietary fat right now, and people are wisening up. It may take a couple more decades, but I think by then, you know, you're going to see full-fat, double-fat options at restaurants <laughs> uh, for people that want to be in the ketosis. Dude, I actually put that in Keto Clarity. I said, go to your restaurant and start asking for double-fat uh, in your entree and see what they say. <laughs> well, you know, I've seen in social media, at least in South Africa, because of uh, uh, Noakes' book, uh, that the, yep. some of these restaurants are now having banting options on their menus. Oh, I love oh, it. Seriously, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I'm actually awful. going to South Africa in, in February, so I can't wait to order a banting option. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I had no idea that was going on. Yeah, I mean, we're we're really lucky that we're kind of on the forefront of that momentum. And it's, it's finally, there's so much momentum. Uh, it's going to be very hard to derail this line of thought. And, you know, it's going to be harder to keep the research money out of this vein of research. Yeah. Um, even though I, you know, the government and government agencies are still going to try, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to get to the point where there's no choice. Well, and when will it trickle into the scientific advisory board for the United States Department of Agriculture's dietary guidelines? Um, because it has to, at some point, penetrate into there if there's enough research that's uh, pointing this way. Well, what's interesting is, you know, when they published their recent guidelines or the, the recent guidelines were published, they 
they talk about the ketogenic diets and the low carb diets and all their benefits, but then, you know, their recommendations are still 180 degrees away from that. It's like, yeah, you know, what, what is it going to take to just say, okay, these diets have definitely been proven safe. They've definitely been proven effective. We don't have the body of research to confidently recommend them. But then again, we don't have the body of research to recommend carbohydrate-based diets at all anymore. So you might right. as well try it out. You know that? Yeah. And go ahead. In Keto Clarity, in the introduction, I actually talked about going to testify in Washington, D.C. Before that committee, there was 50 total people amongst what, what we have, 300 million people in America. 50 people showed up to give testimony And I was like one of two normal people. All the rest of them were paid lobbyists to be there. You know, the the milk uh, lobby had their representative there. The soy lobby had their, you know, the green lobby, on and on and on. And here I am just an American citizen trying to express, hey, look, what you're trying to tell people is healthy has not been working. We really need to, you know, look at some other ways. And I told my story and that I represent a lot of people out here in the low carb and paleo community. And yeah, what, what did it do? What, what was the good that came out of that? I don't know, uh, probably not much other than lip service, like you were just saying, but what would happen for the 2015 guidelines if we get 500, 1,000? You know, we only had 50 total last time, but 500 or 1,000 of just us going up to DC, how would they be able to ignore that? I, you know, they still could. <laughs> I mean, they could, but we could have a press conference afterwards out on the steps right outside the USDA and say, you know, hey, here's here's what we're passionate about, especially if we get some medical doctors on board and researchers and all kind of band together and have this joint statement. And then all of them testify in front of them. I, I think it would be impossible for them to totally ignore it. Uh, it probably wouldn't be impossible for them to ignore it. It would just depend <laughs> how much money we could give them. Yeah. Um, I think, right. you know, the one with the biggest wallet has the biggest say, so to speak. So uh, uh, you're I, jaded too, Rocky. I see. <laughs> so I, I don't really think it'd make too much of a difference. I mean, I think on, the only way you'll see that policy change is if there is a way for the active lobbyists to make money on the dietary implementations that would be changing with it. I would think that if there's, you know, money, because there's a lot of money going to agriculture. So if there's a way they can figure right. out how they can compensate for that, then that's the only way I think the dial will move, to be honest with you. But you know, I'm well, cynical, so. <laughs> Number one, I think the dietary guidelines needs to be out of the USDA's purveyorship. I think it needs to be an independent third party uh, type of deal uh, that is truly a consensus of all these various experts, not hand chosen ones by the USDA. Right. Yeah. You can't take Dean Ornish and say, oh, well, we've got this expert and he's going to make dietary guidelines for us. And he's quote unquote independent. Right. You know, and and that's, I know Gary Tobbs, when we talked about that, when he was forming NUSI and he's on the board, uh, the, the other board members and the funders were like, well, you know, we need to make sure that this is really balanced. So we want to put Dean Ornish on the board of directors as well. And it's like, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, I'm not sure I would want to have to run anything with Dean Ornish, but, you know, that at least makes some sense. You know, we need some culpability where both sides are represented in some way uh, so that some consensus can be made. And unfortunately, you know, Dean Ornish is a bad example, but, you know, really people who are in the academic community and who are doing research and not just epidemiologists who 
are going to find whatever correlation it is they want to find. Right. Uh, you know, having that kind of structure and Rocky and I were talking about that over coffee this morning. I said, you know, one reason there's so much confusion, confusion here. And I, I've been reading a ton on um, biological thermodynamics recently and open systems and non-equilibrium systems. And if you go through and you start to examine the biological pathways and you look at, you know, the thermodynamic properties, you know, Gibbs free energy, all this kind of stuff, the cost of assembling molecules. At some point, there's no way that you couldn't. And I, I think there's a lot of a lot of people in the biological thermodynamics world who would look at this and say, yes, absolutely. You should be able to construct a diet that has a metabolic advantage for almost any organism. The, the only open question is, which diet is the least efficient? So which one has the best metabolic efficiency? I don't think you could find somebody in that line of study who would not agree with that statement. But the problem is there's nobody who's doing obesity research or diet research or epidemiologists who are looking at these things who understand that world or even really talk to that world where that would at least open the possibility. And right now we've got a good candidate compared to a high carbohydrate diet. We've got an excellent candidate of a diet that is more, that has a metabolic advantage. And there might be another one that has an even greater metabolic advantage. You know, you would expect that a range of diets made of different macronutrient uh, components would have different uh, metabolic efficiencies. But there's no group out there that combines all these different experts from all these different fields who talk to each other on a regular basis. And I think that's an organization that we're missing right now that would be very important. And, and not even Nusi is trying to fill that void. Nusi is just saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to study some diets and see what the results are. You know, we need more than that. We need a lot of cross-collaboration and a lot of cross-communication right. Um, and, and people like you who are touching, you know, not just on one component, but you're trying to look at a higher level of all the components together. And there's a lot of us out there doing that, uh, to try to bridge that gap and start to facilitate that communication. Yeah. One of the things in researching keto clarity that kind of shocked me was the researchers who are doing, uh, what's called the ketogenic diet with all with all capital letters. That's the official one for epilepsy. All of that research is totally separate from the ketogenic research of people like Volek and Finney and Westman and, and different other ones that have been doing ketogenic research. They're not talking to each other and they're both examining the ketogenic pathway to see what's going on that can help with all these diseases. Why not? Come on, people. <laughs> Let's put you together because I think pooling what we found all together would be a lot more beneficial and we could speed this process along uh, faster. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, those, those two groups are, would, be, would dovetail nicely together because you've got one who is expert in disease states that affect the brain. And then you've got another group that came from it from a direction somewhat of performance originally in sports nutrition Right. You know, those those two would be an awesome, you know, melding of, oh, look, look at the spectrum of things we see on this. And, you know, you can get somebody who's looked at, uh, you know, the correction of blood markers or uh, performance. Like actually Dom D'Agostino would be a great person to head an organization like that because he's looked at right. so many different aspects of a ketogenic diet. 
You, you could look at yeah, also, that, you know, you said metabolic disease, so that would include diabetes, cancer, so that would be another tier bucket. So, um, you know, when you're when and when you're researching the book, Jimmy, was there anything that besides what you just said in terms of surprising you in terms of the diverse, div, the divis, the divisibility of the uh, people doing the research and not really connecting? Was there anything else that really kind of caught your eye or that really was like made you step back and have to rethink things? I think just the fact that nobody's ever written pen to paper um, all of these health benefits. I, I think, like I said, we've danced around it in other books. Uh, you know, Atkins talked about the weight loss benefits, and he talked about a little bit of the health, but he was pegged as kind of the weight loss guy. And then you had the epilepsy books that are out there. It just shocked me that nobody's ever put it all together and said, hey, look at all these chronic disease states that people are dealing with that have been shown uh, even in short-term studies and several long-term studies and some emerging studies uh, to be very effective in helping with. I, I was just, I was just quite frankly surprised that there were no other resources. And is it, is it really that new? I mean, Banting was talking about this stuff in the 1800s, you know, and even if we go back to Atkins, I mean, that's what, 40 years, really? It took this long before somebody started putting two and two together and all of these disease states get better with a ketogenic diet? Uh, we've kind of known this all along. I was just surprised nobody's really ever put it together before before this book. Do you think maybe people are scared? You know, because basically what you're saying, which should be true, is that you a, a ketogenic diet is essentially, when you look at all the research and you look at all this data across the board, it's kind of a panacea for just about every major chronic disease that we see today, you know, from p possibly Alzheimer's to diabetes to even cancer. Do you think there's just that yeah. fear of somebody saying, look, here, here's the cure-all and being ridiculed for that reason or fearing that being too, um, too bold would maybe taint their message a little bit? Well, and it does come back to terminology here. Um, and, and I really love the fact that you said earlier that, you know, we don't really know if it's the ketones or the blood sugar lowering effects because when you have higher ketones, you're going to have lower blood sugar. And are all those chronic disease states actually being improved because of the lower blood glucose or is it the higher ketones or is it a symbiosis of both? We really don't know. We need more research on that. But yeah, I think there's some, uh, some people are scared of the K word because of its confusion with ketoacidosis which uh, in the book, we tried to make it real simple for people to understand what we're talking about with nutritional ketosis versus diabetic ketoacidosis. And it comes down to the blood sugar. If the blood sugar level is 240 and above and you have astronomically high blood ketone levels of almost 15 to 20, yeah, that's diabetic ketoacidosis. That's a type 1 diabetic or a type 2 who's lost all beta cell function and is truly insulin dependent. If you're able to produce any insulin at all, diabetic ketoacidosis is not even on the table. And the hallmark of someone doing nutritional ketosis is you're going to have high ketones, but it's only going to be moderately high compared to these astronomically high for diabetic ketoacidosis. So the highest I've ever gotten is 6.7 on a blood ketone meter. But at the same time, my blood sugar was in the low 60s. And so... That's the big difference. Lower blood sugar, moderate level of ketones, that's nutritional ketosis, whereas very high blood sugar, extremely high ketone levels, that's diabetic ketoacidosis. 
Right. And that, I think, what was it? You know, maybe when, when Atkins first started making a resurgence in the 90s, that was a big, big topic was this, oh, ketones are dangerous and they kill you, look right. at diabetics. And, you know, that that's just so absurd. And that shows the ignorance that was out there. And luckily that, that conversation. Still out there. Yeah. I mean, it's died down a little bit. They've got other reasons yeah. to attack ketogenic diets now, which is fine. But, you know, the the vast amount of ignorance about human nutrition, the human body, metabolism, it, it's stunning. At this day and age, with everything we do know, it is stunning at how slow that information is propagated. I know, at least from talking to patients on a day-to-day basis, that, you know, ketone uh, continues to have a negative connotation to it. And again, explaining, like, like you stated to patients, um, how this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I find also that clinically, um, it's quite difficult for patients to structure a diet because it's such a foreign concept to them. And so that's the other issue I know that sometimes is, an, is a problem with probably making this more widespread. Although the three of us, it probably doesn't seem like it's very difficult. It seems like it's almost, you know, one of the easiest things to do. But um, again, kind of living in that world and not, you know, not coming from that side. Um, at least I know it's difficult for patients to, to make that jump as well. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with fat phobia too. Uh, the fat phobia makes it very impossible <laughs> to try to get adequate ketones. And so people don't truly experience the full benefits of ketosis. They might be low carb, but they're not ketogenic as we were talking about at the beginning. And you know, you have people uh, like the American Medical Association, we put this in the book, all what they think about ketosis. They said it's characterized as an abnormal state brought on by a quote, deficiency or inefficient use of carbohydrates. So they, they totally don't even get what we're talking about here when it comes to ketosis. They're just throwing out these things to scare people. Right. I had uh, somebody, he's a good friend of mine and actually a, a coach for Body IO. He works in a hospital and he tries to engage some of the doctors. And uh, he... He had told one of the doctors, you know, what he, what he was doing. He told him about carb night, how he eats. And, you know, he brought up ketosis and ketones and she said, oh, well, that's dangerous. And he's like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, ketones are combustible and that contributes to spontaneous <laughs> combustion. And he thought she was kidding. She was being completely serious. She was serious. dead serious. Yeah. Yes. Her thought was, if you've wow. got ketones in your body, you may just suddenly explode. Oh he my, was, well, yeah. I should have exploded a long time ago. Then. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, it, it's things like that. <laughs> I won't even comment on the conversations <laughs> I have with the specialists in the hospital. So <laughs> it's, it, it goes along those lines where, you know, again, it, it, there are, you know, doctors aren't necessarily always the healthiest people in the world. And, you know, I always joke of why would you go to the overweight cardiologist as your physician? Um, but to a certain degree, you know, I, you know, uh, run to specialists and, you know, they have, you can obviously tell they're not probably the most healthiest people in the world. And obviously I've made a change in my own life and, and they'll always ask me, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just don't eat carbs. And like, what do you eat? I go fat. <laughs> and they're like, well, isn't that bad for you? <laughs> I mean, they, I, I can tell you how often this occurs and, and, you know, and I always actually, I, we, we have some oncologists that work with as well. And I've always, I always try to mention in passing, you know, ketogenic diet, not necessarily as the treatment choice for cancer treatment, but always as adjunct, but it always kinds of falls on deaf ears typically, you know, so it is what it but is. But I think that's going to change. I think that's going to change in the coming years 
Nina Teichel's book, of course, Gary's work that's been out there. I think we're going to see a lot more positive uh, reflection. Of course, the Time Magazine article that had butter on the front cover, that was just beautiful. Um, we're going to see a lot more of that. And I think the more that that happens, the more people will get confident. And this won't be looked upon as so fringe to people as it is now. Yeah, and I think that's the key this time is to keep that momentum going, is to make sure that more and more people continue to be vocal and don't get discouraged by all the negative publicity or the negative comments or the crazy comments from doctors that you're going to explode because you're ketogenic. You know, you gotta, well, you gotta, that like, is a new one. I know. I, he told me that and I was like, are you, are you absolutely sure that's what she said? He said, I'm positive because I asked her again, you know, if she really meant that you would explode if you're, if you started producing ketones and her direct answer was yes, you run the risk. And I'm like, Oh my, <laughs> we need to start a new hashtag on Twitter. Combustible ketones. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> That'd be great. Not. Yeah. It's, uh. So, you know, these things, you know, I, Atkins had a like great surge, but not enough people were behind that and not enough people were right. vocal enough about it to keep that momentum going. And I think you're right. I think right now we've got the first chance to actually change U.S. dietary policy uh, because there's so many people who are so vocal and more importantly, so many people who are successful. Well, and even if it's not official U.S. policy, I think enough individuals have read Wheat Belly and Green Brain and all these books that are out there, and they're putting two and two together on their own and listen to podcasts like this one and mine. You know, they're learning. They're educating themselves, and they themselves are taking back control of their health, which is kind of a major theme of the work I've been doing the last few years. I love doctors. Love you, Rocky. But most doctors don't know what they're doing nutritionally people have to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, doctors should be like back in the old day. You, They made a house call when there was an emergency, and that's about it. There, It shouldn't be somebody, you know, no offense, Rocky, but I wouldn't, even if you were my doctor, I wouldn't want to see you every day. You know, I wouldn't want to see you every week. I would prefer not to see you every month. Yeah, but we, uh, well, you know, there actually is some research that, like, for example, diabetics, the more often there's a touch with the provider, the better control they have. Right. right. Well, but that's the thing. That's what I'm talking about is we shouldn't be so sick that we have to rely on that yeah. relationship. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, here's here, I, I wouldn't get paid for a house call anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that should be where our healthcare system is moving. We don't need so many doctors. I don't think what we need are people who can have a diet that's sustainable and healthy in the first place. And then we won't need so many nurses. We won't need so many doctors. Uh, we, we really would just have a healthy population that has to go see, you know, Rocky when there's an emergency, like their, their diet was great, but they still, for some random reason, uh, developed a brain tumor. And they, they, at that point, you really need some medical assistance, but you shouldn't need medical assistance to live month by month. You know, that, that right. is not a chronic state that you should ever expect. And I think pretty much, you know, my parents expect that. They expect that as they age, they're going to have to take more medications. They're going to have to see their doctor more often. Uh, they, you know, they're expecting this chronic accumulation of illness as they march to the grave. And I think that is a completely unnatural state for human beings and, well, any animal for that matter. 
Yeah, and that's where ketosis comes in to help prevent that. Right. Yeah. These in a lot of areas. Yeah, these ketogenic diets. Uh, you know, it's amazing the degradation. People don't understand the the degradation that eating carbohydrates can cause to a cell and to mitochondria that accumulates over years and years and years. And you're not going to notice it right away. You're not going to notice the degradation that's going on. I mentioned carbonylation earlier, which is where uh, specifically creatine kinase on the mitochondrial surface, which is responsible for helping to recycle ATP and make that process efficient, uh, it starts to become damaged. As it becomes damaged, it can't transport, uh, you know, it, it breaks down essentially the proton chain that allows ATP to be formed. And the cell starts to get sick. The mitochondria gets sick first, then the cell gets sick, and the carbohydrates are increasing the level at which that happens, and that's an accumulation of years. And again, we don't see that, but when we do start to see it, we've already done a lot of damage, and we're already used to eating that way. We're like, well, when I was young, I ate this way, and I was fine. And we've, uh, for some reason, I don't know why it's not in the conversation, and I don't know if you talk about it in your book, Jimmy, but you know, what, what we do when we're young is still contributing to what we, what's going to happen to us when we're old. We don't have, it's not like the body is this isolated system day to day and that you're just going to, Oh, I'll change everything today and everything's going to be fixed. It just, it doesn't work that way. We accumulate this stuff over our lifespan. And well, I think one of the issues is that these changes occur over such a glacial type of yeah. uh, time notion that you never feel anything, you never see anything. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're 45 and you're diabetic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Got- I had a lady at my church that just, just turned diabetic. She's right in her mid forties. And, uh, yeah, it was the same thing as like, I- I've been eating right all along. And well, what do you eat? <laughs> oh, grains and, and fruit and lots and lots and lots and lots of fruit. And uh, maybe that's not such a good idea anymore. Right. Right. And, and like you said about, uh, ketosis and why that's beneficial, you know, there's, like I said, uh, Glucose can be degradating over time, but the on the opposite hand, as as uh, you've pointed out and mentioned before, you know ketones are restorative and trigger repair processes over time. So right. you know you've got this perfect right now. We've got the perfect storm of disease. We've got uh, metabolic fuel that's causing degradation that shuts off all of the repair processes in the cells over time. And then if you take carbs out, you've got the perfect scenario of not only taking away the degradating component, but you've added in a component that triggers repair processes. I mean, this is just a no brainer. If you are a student of cellular biology, it's just a no brainer. It's like, well, yeah, of course, this is the environment you want to put cells in. If you want the longest amount of time for a healthy functioning cell to function at its peak power, this is the environment you want to put it in. You know, like nobody would argue that. But then when we talk about the diet, it's like, oh, well, yeah, obviously you need to eat a lot of carbohydrates. <laughs> I mean, the, the disconnect there is amazing to me. Like, how can you be that disconnected from what's going on in the cell to what you put in your mouth? Uh, it just, it makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. Nobody's saying anything. <laughs> Did I, I just- we all concur. I mean, I don't know what else to <laughs> say there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's well stated. You know, it, it was it, it still it does remain mind boggling. And, you know, like I said, I'll tell you, like, as we said on, on, the, on this podcast before, I patients coming in left and right. The first responders we work with, 
the notion of what they think is healthy, um, despite um, the mirror in front of them, despite the abnormal blood work, despite their performance, it, it really does make you think, you know, you know, are you, are we that um, disconnected between everything? But, um, but Jimmy, you had mentioned that um, you had worked with Dr. Westman on the book. Um, uh, mm-hmm. In the book, do you, does, do you get into anything um, in terms of case studies that he's seen in his clinic or um, what is, what was his involvement with the book and helping you write the book? Yeah. So he was my co-author on cholesterol clarity, which you were a part of. And yeah, so I, I wrote most of uh, both the keto clarity and cholesterol clarity. And then he was going behind me and saying, okay, let's, uh, let's add this in here. Let's, let's change this. Let's improve this. Uh, for the most part, he liked most of what I wrote because we're kind of on the same page here. Um, and then he, his contribution was in addition to that, providing little uh, doctor's notes throughout. So did he provide specific case studies within the text of the book? No, uh, but in the back of the book, we do cite 185 scientific references that kind of backs up what we're saying with all these different disease states that are being improved by a ketogenic diet. Um, That was one of the criticisms we got with cholesterol clarity was we didn't have those cited references in the back. And my stated purpose with this book was to try to make this palatable to the mainstream reader who may not listen to body IO podcasts and get all the geeky language that you guys are talking about today, um, but kind of introduce them to the topic. So, but I thought, you know what, for this book, we're going to throw them in there. And so there's 185 references and it definitely has a lot of Westman, uh, uh, Volick and Finney's work back there. So you just said, um, which is a lofty goal in today's world of trying to make the the information and and kind of some of the science and the things that are going on behind the scenes palatable for most people. Yep. Like, what was your what was your overarching um, methodology for doing that? Like, how did you try to introduce this to? Let, let's just say that you know, I I assume you're expecting like the lay person who's still eating kind of the healthy American diet. Like what was your approach to draw them in? Yeah. uh, So anybody familiar with my work knows I'm a lay person. I'm not a scientist by trade. I don't have a MD, PhD, RD, or any other D after my name. Um, I'm just a guy who is passionate about this message. So I think that's why people like my work is I speak, I, I do understand some of those more advanced things, but I try to make them and translate them into language that people can understand. So I'll give you a story about cholesterol clarity. I gave a copy of that book to my neighbor who's obese and type 2 diabetic and dealt with a lot of health issues. And she was doing all the quote unquote right things, eating just vegetables, you know, cooking in vegetable oil, all these like healthy things, uh, eating whole grains, blah, blah, blah. So she read cholesterol clarity. She threw out the vegetable oils. She started shifting her grain consumption away from eating grains and more to fresh whole vegetables. And now she's eating, get this guys, lard with her food. (laughs) Now she was using vegetable oil before and now she's got, and her daughter is now having an argument. Her daughter's also obese, uh, having an argument with her and saying, oh, well, don't you know that lard's unhealthy? You need to be eating the vegetable oil. (laughs) So if for no other reason to plant some seeds in people 
to help them understand some of these concepts if they just do a takeaway and start applying something like replacing your vegetable oils with lard i'll feel like my work is accomplished that <laughs> that's uh still a lofty goal but a very obtainable one i think that's yeah that's awesome people are so afraid of that you know i would you know, maybe your next, maybe keto clarity, the goal maybe should have been to try to get people to start to switch vegetable oils for bacon lard. <laughs> that would have been we awesome. Did that with, we did that with cholesterol clarity because we scared them half to death that vegetable oils were giving them inflammation and hurting their arteries, which is true. It, it does. That's, um, did you, I can't tell if Rocky was, wanted to oh, say something. Well, or I was going to say, I was yeah. gonna say that it well. I was gonna say something, but then we came to bacon, so um, I, <laughs> he was distracted. About bacon. I got distracted. Yeah, put some butter on that bacon. It's really good. Well, it's just interesting. I get patients coming back to me and saying, "Dr. Patel, I'm just sick of eating bacon. What else can I eat?" I'm like, "What? How is that possible? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever." Like but we we'd mentioned, you know, some of the the health benefits of you know doing a ketogenic diet and and being in ketosis, and I can tell you at least. Personally, you know, I think there's there are long term benefits and there's certainly short term benefits because you'll see things kind of upswing quite quickly. And I, I can give you an example of a patient I saw recently. Um, patient had dementia. Um, we do a mini mental status exam on them to determine how how poor their dementia is. As a score of zero to thirty, thirty being the best score, zero, zero being the worst score, uh, the worst score. And in April, we we had scored her. She was about a thirteen out of thirty. And uh, when I first saw her last year as a new patient, we put her on a, a low carbohydrate diet and she lost about 25 pounds and her MMSC was score was in the twenties and she had wow. um, gone off the diet. Uh, and um, so uh, when we scored her again in April, she was down to 13. And so I'm looking at things. I'm like, how did this happen? What's going on? And I looked at her weight. The weight was up. I'm like, well, are you guys still doing the diet? Well, no, we have been off the diet. It hasn't really been working. You know, we've just been kind of distracted. And so wow. we got them refocused again. I kind of explained the importance of why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you know, obviously the family members are with them. And so um, six weeks later, patient comes back and we score her MMSC and she's above 20 again. So, wow. I mean, so you can see short-term benefit, but, you you know, obviously we're looking for the long-term, but sometimes these short-term benefits that you can demonstrate to, to, to patients and really kind of hammer home why we should be doing what we're doing. You know, so. And build the confidence for sure, yeah. Correct. And, and hopefully build the um, reinforcement that this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. And the good habits, yeah. So back to yeah. Keto Clarity, I'm wondering, is this basically a tour de force of not only a prescription of how people can actually become ketogenic, which... You know, you're right. I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, that's a good point that there's no instructive guide out there right now that really, you know, helps people to to reach that state. But is it also, you know, one you give them the instructions on how to do that, but also all the disease states that this cures is that, you know, is essentially the, the premise of this book or treats, absolutely not necessarily cures. Yeah, I know what you meant. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Starting in Chapter 16, we go over uh, all the things that we have strong evidence for in the literature um, for helping with, you know, various disease states, a ketogenic diet helping. And that chapter, I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. Westman really helped me on that one because too many people, they'll just see a headline and it'll say, you know, red meat causes cancer or whatever. 
But then you go and look at the actual study, and, and you guys talk about this quite a bit too. It's a mouse study or it's an epidemiological study. It's not really a randomized control clinical trial, which is the only real study any human being should be, uh, you know, looking at for extrapolating information for them. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't act like a mouse too often. So that research doesn't really interest me. It might be interesting to a researcher to look into <laughs> to do right. human controlled clinical style trials. But uh, until that happens, it really doesn't mean much. But uh, yeah, I, that was a tangent. So yeah, so we provide the strong evidence in chapter 16. You're rubbing off on me, Kiefer. Uh, strong <laughs> evidence in chapter 16. Uh, uh, epilepsy, for example, is something we have very strong evidence that a ketogenic diet helps with. Type 2 diabetes, very strong evidence that it helps with. Of course, weight loss has been talked about for years, cardiovascular disease and metabolic syndrome, um, all of these things and PCOS, um, IBS, all of these are issues that we know and we have strong evidence of two years or more uh, that a ketogenic diet will help with GERD and heartburn are, are other ones and, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So that's one whole chapter. So yeah, we that was one of the things that when we put this book together, okay, we're going to show you how to get there, give you the practical guide, yes, but we want to show you why. Here are all these diseases that we have very strong evidence it's going to help with. And then the uh, chapter 17, we actually outline all the good evidence. So this is things that we have up to one year worth of scientific evidence so far. Uh, things like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, dementia, like uh, Rocky was just talking about, um, schizophrenia, bipolar, and other mental health issues. And that was probably one of the shocking things too. If I never lost another pound eating a ketogenic diet, I would do it just for the brain health benefits because the brain health benefits, you can't deny them. I mean, your your mental clarity for you know lack of a better term sorry <laughs> is so much better when you're when you're in ketosis than when you're not and I can tell even without testing when I'm in or when I'm not in ketosis because of the brain uh, benefits and then the last uh, chapter that we deal with the science is chapter 18 and it's all these emerging areas of research. Right now, we mostly have anecdotal evidence and maybe some short-term small studies, but really needs a whole lot more uh, research, things like the cancer uh, that we've already talked about, uh, autism and fibromyalgia and migraines. And uh, I know Rob Wolf's talked about traumatic brain injury before. That's in there, on and on and on. So yeah, th this is kind of a, all right, after I've showed you how to get there, now, just soak in and bask in the glory of all these disease states that you're probably going to ward off because you're eating this way. That sounds like a very timely and necessary book. Uh, I'm, I'm only pissed off because you beat me to it. <laughs> Basically. You, you, you'd be too nerdy with it. <laughs> well, you're kind of you're kind of in it. Uh, you're quoted throughout in Moment of Clarity quotes. So that's Yeah. You contributed. Oh. Well, that's, that's good. I'm glad to know I contributed, but still, you know, it's like having that name on your, on the book. Um, but no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the book coming out. That's August 5th, right? Yep. And, uh, hardback Kindle ebook and audible audiobook. Uh, everybody was like, Hey, you're, you're a podcaster. We know your voice. You've got to read your own book. And I'm going, but I've never done anything like that before. <laughs> 
But uh, it was actually a lot of fun. I was telling you before we came on the air, I actually banged that out in a couple of days. So uh, I guess it helps to talk behind a microphone for a living. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, really looking forward to to the book. Uh, you know, if by some chance you would like to send me an advanced copy, I would be more than oh, happy you, to read it. You've got one coming, my friend, as oh, one of good. my experts. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Rocky's getting one too. So, oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, because I, uh, I don't get a chance to read very often. And I actually, um, this is one book I definitely will read. And Nina uh, Ty Scholes's book is another one that I actually took the time to, well, actually I had a eight hour flight to New York, so I can't say I yeah. took the time to read that, but, uh, another excellent book that you mentioned on the show here. So we'll definitely, yeah. we'll have links. Uh, definitely we'll make sure that the audience knows where to get your book and, and gets a copy of that and reads it and gives us some feedback. I'd like to know, uh, what an, a well-versed audience actually thinks of the book as well. Cause oftentimes, that can be so different, you know, what a layperson gets out of the book compared to what yeah. somebody who's somewhat versed in the area gets out of it. So, uh, one of the highest compliments I got from people about cholesterol clarity, Kiefer, was it, they said, finally, something I can give my Uncle Joe or my Aunt Sally or somebody that just isn't into this like they are. Mm-hmm. But it spoke to them and it gave them the good foundation for becoming. Uh, I guess, where they are in their knowledge. So while it may not be um, going to be challenging for some of your audience per se, because they're probably going to know most of this stuff having listened to you and followed your work, it's going to be something that they can pass along. Okay, you want to understand what I'm doing? Read this book, Keto Clarity. Explains it all. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, really looking forward to it. And, you know, thankful for how vocal you've been uh all these years, you know, and just keeping this message out there and actually somewhat thankful that you're from the lay community. So it gives you a little bit per- different perspective on how to convey some of this information. Thank you. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Obviously any last comments you want for Jimmy Rocky? No, I say thanks a lot for coming on. It was good talking to you again. It's always a pleasure to, to get you on the line and talk about patient profiles and things like that. So <laughs> absolutely. And- and websites, what are what are your top websites for people to go to to find you and find the book and basically find everything? Yeah, so we did a, a, a ketoclarity.com website um, for the book. And then if you want to learn more about my work, uh, we have kind of a main hub, livinlavitalowcarb.com. Or if you just Google Jimmy Moore, I think I'm the whole first page when you Google my name. Okay, yeah. Well, that makes it pretty easy then. And we'll have links to all these pages on the, the podcast when it, when it launches. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Jimmy. It is a pleasure talking with you. Uh, really looking forward to, to reading the book. And, uh, you know, that's it. That's another episode of Body IOFM. Thanks, everybody. been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.